was, there were people that weren't Christian, that weren't really that open to Christianity and um, originally, but they were shocked that such things were in the Bible and that there could be such wisdom and love or that it was that relatable. They were just dumbfounded by that. So it's exciting. I really feel like one of the significant things in the dating workshop is that it opens doors in particular for people that wouldn't really even think about Jesus or consider making him Lord or, or uh, open the scripture. Uh, but even though we had people from other faiths, they were so set free and healed by what they heard that it just touched their hearts, opened their hearts, walls came down. It was exciting. Uh, I did not speak to everybody there, but uh, I, I heard many, many stories on the sidelines. Um, it was pretty sweet. You know, there were people that were deeply touched, you know, cry, guys crying that weren't Christian. It was just, <laughs> it was really cool, I thought. <laughs> so I'm excited about it. I'm excited about getting the word out about it now that we kind of have uh, our website up and the DVDs produced that we haven't quite figured out how to get the word out about it, but uh, we're working on it. We did um, get in uh, a company that's helping us with the internet marketing part of it, and we'll see how that goes. Um, they're the same company that works for my business and has gotten really good results there. So we'll, this is a totally different kind of animal. So a, the, a lot of the money that you're giving and offering, there's a few things that, um, that you guys that have been wonderful at giving have, are blessing a lot of people. You're blessing people by like, cause the, the fee for the dating workshop didn't cover the whole registration. So part of your offering money went to put those weekends on, which are really expensive. Clearly, you can't do uh, banquet meals and snacks and everything else for $60 a person at a hotel. Uh, depending upon the number of people, it can even get as much as $150 a person when we put them on. But it's your offering money that helped to make it available to those people and also that's making it available to get the word out to others uh, and spread the word. So, But ultimately... Um, it's awesome because it's passing on healing, but also helping people to come to know our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so, tonight the teaching topic, we're going to start a new series called The Greatest Love of All. And it's not it, the Whitney Houston song. <laughs> I found out after I came up with the title, it was a Whitney Houston song, um, which was cool. And um, But I was thinking about as we're approaching Easter, Easter, I, I believe, is the most significant holiday of our faith. There is no more significant event in human history than Jesus Christ getting up from the dead. Because in his crucifixion and resurrection, it changed our lives radically forever and made, our, made living life to the full possible. So... I feel like it, it's sad to me that it's been diminished into things like bunny rabbits and Easter eggs that have nothing to do with the powerful resurrection of Christ. But what I'd like to do this year is, in this series, is in the next uh, three weeks and then Easter, so there's a total of five teachings, um, is to go through the record of Jesus and his sacrifice with all of you. You know, there's no other topic written more about in the Bible than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There's, it's uh, not only 
the actual time of those days right leading up to his crucifixion, the torture and the Garden of Gethsemane and all of those events, there's masses of amounts of you know, chapters and chapters and chapters on just those few little days leading up to the crucifixion. But on top of that, there's just the entire Bible from cover to cover is filled with things that are teaching either of the coming of what he gave or teaching about in, in um, retrospect what he gave and about what it means to us. So I really thought last year we just did a teaching that was just the one week of Easter that because there's so much stuff on this that it would be worthy to really get into the detail and take time and cover a whole lot more specifics. And the goal, when you think about it, the, the message of the crucifixion is so that we get that God loves us. In this, I mean, I just got chills saying that. God Almighty wants us to know that we know that we know that he loves us. In the crucifixion, in the gift that God gave and in the sacrifice of Jesus laying down his life, the purpose is that we get his love. And I want, in, the, in these next five weeks, for all of us, I want that to live for me more. Don't you? I, wanna, I want it to live more and more because how often through the world and through all the things that we get caught up to day by day, we lose sight of that. You know, it, it's something that when we connect with it, it's life-changing. Connecting with the love of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is changes people's lives forever. So I want to, so that's the purpose of these next few weeks. Uh, but I thought that it might help. Let's go to John 3. This is the theme verse. Probably the most famous verse of, of, uh, the, uh, in the in- entire Bible. What would you guess it's going to be? Yes, that's the one. <laughs> that's how famous it is. You all knew what I was going to say. So in John 3, um, you see it at football games and everywhere else and uh, all kinds of sporting events and signs and what have you. In and out. In and out burger on the napkins. Forever 21. Yeah, it has John 3.16. But that is the theme of this entire series is it is there is no greater love than this. There's no greater love than, than Jesus laying down his life. There's nothing that can compare it to it. And we're all desperately and desperately in need of that love. In John 3 and verse 16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the message of Jesus and what he gave. It's interesting that it says that there's there's like a little formula here. It says... He so loved that he gave. It's interesting because oftentimes when we think of love, we think of it as a feeling, don't we? I feel love. But when you think about that, that actually, the emotion typically or oftentimes just is indicative that we're receiving something. There are different kinds of love in the world. There's, you know, the Bible speaks about, there's different Greek words for the word love. There's phileo love and agape love and... Uh, you know, um, passion and all the other. There's different versions of love. But in 
when God speaks of agape love, the love of God, it's a love that's a sacrificial love. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that's not about feeling. It's about action. It's about doing. It's real. It's not self-focused. It's not self-serving as often love can be. Often love and the feeling of love is just the opposite of something giving. It's something taking. But in God's love here, the, the agape love, it's, this is the love that we're desperate for. I know oftentimes we think that, we're, that what we need is the other kind of love, which is nice to have. It's great to have the good feeling love. But the whole in our heart and the deepest, deepest part of, the, of what we have it, as far as our, our need and our desperation to be loved is for this kind of love. Anything else won't satisfy. There is nothing else that can satisfy like this love. There's nothing else that makes us feel filled up and whole like this love. It says, and then it's interesting, it says he gave his one and only son. And so, again, we think about the, there's, there's two elements to this, and we're going to look at, there's the, there's the element of God giving his one and only son, which I think that the emphasis there is on the fact that it's a lot for someone to give their life, wouldn't you say? There's actually a scripture about that. If we have time, we'll read it. Uh, well, it, you know, where Jesus says that greater, no greater love that there is than this, than a, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said that. So that goes with the title, too, the greatest love, at all, love of all. There's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. So laying down your life is an incredible amount of love that few people do in this world. It's, you don't see it often that somebody says, I'll take a bullet for you, or I would lay down my life for you. Few people would do that for another. But even greater than that, there's nothing greater, like what would be even a bigger sacrifice is giving the life of your child. I, I, I'm not a parent, but what I've heard parents say is that that is a much bigger sacrifice would to be to give the life of your child. And God is emphasizing his love so that we really get it, that he gave his one and only son. It's not even like he had 10 only, begot, you know, like kids or something and, and said, okay, I'll give one. So there's a lot of emphasis here. And then it's interesting because why is it that people keep thinking, you know, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Just the opposite. God knew that all of us were in a mess and in desperate need, it said, but to save the world through him. Let's go to, now, I want to kind of give you a little bit of a background before, because next week we're going to get into the actual story of the crucifixion and the things leading up to it, but I want to kind of give you a background as to why we needed a savior. So that, because I think that that's important to understand. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. This is the first mention in the Bible of Jesus Christ. What happened in the Bible, and you can learn more detail. It's, this is uh, explained really well in the Seekers Retreat. If anybody wants to go in May, it's our next retreat coming up. If, so if you had an awesome time at the dating workshop, sign up and bring your friends to the Seekers Retreat in two months. So in Genesis 3... We have the story of the original fall of man, a famous story about Adam and Eve, and, and uh, everybody knows the story, um, where the serpent came and um, basically talked Adam and Eve into eating the fruit of the tree. And so in Seekers, it goes into a lot more detail about this, 
But in that, because God had originally said he gave dominion of the earth, it says, to Adam, that in the sin and the fall of man, he transferred dominion and the power of the earth to Satan. So it now says Satan is the god of this world or the god of this age, and that all people born after that were born into sin, into a sin nature. So that was something that we inherited from Adam. So this is a huge, terrible thing that happened. And then in Genesis 3, in verse 14, God's response um, to this, he says, God says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put en- 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 <laughs> I always want to say enmity instead of enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So this is the prophecy God, of God's solution to the fall of man and to sin entering into the world and death by sin. Because it says in the fall that, that all human beings inherited death. God originally made man to pe- people to live on forever. So he's promising that he's going to put enmity between Satan and the woman, between Satan's offspring and her offspring, which is Jesus Christ. This is the promise Uh, God promising the coming of the Savior. And then it says, which is, you know, prophecy that uh, part of this has come to pass. It says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So the striking of the heel is the prophecy of the crucifixion. Because it says, Satan didn't really get it. He didn't understand the prophecies and what happened because it says Satan crucified Christ. If he knew, it says, what Christ really came to accomplish in his death and resurrection, he would not have crucified Jesus. So what this prophecy is saying is that God's saying, you're gonna, you'll hurt his heel. The crucifixion, as bad as, as it is, as we're going to get into, was, was in the end equivalent of, okay, you got a little bit of him. You think you got over on him. Okay, for a moment you did. You bit his heel. But in the end, in what Christ accomplished in the crucifixion and the resurrection was crushing Satan's skull. That's why it's such a big deal in what what he did. Um, So in this, so that's that's the beginning of the story. And then what we see throughout the Bible is we start seeing the concept of sacrifice for sin. And specifically, actually, it even talks about the fact that um, God uh, made skins because, you know, they had the little fig leaf coverings. And, uh, and then it says, because <laughs> um, they were shamed and, you know, all of that. And then it says God made animal skins to cover them. That was the first shed blood is because the animals didn't volunteer their skins. So it was the first shed blood in the Bible. And so the shedding of blood came to represent the the payment or covering for sin and atonement, the sacrifice and the offering. So there are different offerings through the Bible. You remember Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, and then God sent him an offering to replace it. That was, um, you'll see all through the Bible, these representations where God was showing people what he was going to do with the coming of Christ. That sacrifice of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, 
um, which everybody's like, oh my, that's crazy. Why would he do that? And that's again, Abraham, it's his only son, Isaac, and he's willing to sacrifice them. That represented his faith in God, that God sent a substitute sacrifice with the lamb that was there. And then, um, and that he believed that God would raise his son from the dead. So that was a tupos, a type of Christ, something that teaching of the coming of Christ and what he was to accomplish. So we see this all throughout the Bible. Now, have you heard Jesus called the Lamb of God and even the Passover Lamb? The reason that we don't currently uh, practice Passover because it's we're going to read about the Passover and how that was another part of the sacrifice that represented what Jesus, what Jesus gave and accomplished is that it says Jesus Christ was the Passover. He was the final end Passover so that it didn't need to be sacrificed year after year, which we'll read about too in a little bit. But let's just go to the, the first Passover in Exodus 2, I mean 12, sorry. You probably know this story from um, the Ten Commandments or what's the other one? The, um, there's a cartoon or something, isn't there? Prince of Egypt, some of the story, they get the story kind of wacky in some of those, but uh, as you know, the, the background for this is, we just recently read the story about Joseph being in Egypt and how he was in power and brought the people of Israel into Egypt to take care of them and to prosper them during the famine. Well, they stayed there longer than they probably should have or God would have advised and um, wound up in slavery in Egypt. And so, the slavery was bad. It wasn't like, you know, it was bad, bad slavery. And so you heard the story where they were whipping them to make bricks and then saying, make bricks without straw, and it was just terrible. Uh, so the oppression just became greater and greater and greater that they were in. And so God sent Moses to go speak for him and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. God says, let my people go. And then there were all the plagues. There were plagues that Moses would say, if you don't do this, God's going to send these plagues. And Pharaoh would say, yeah, try me, you know. And so God would send the plague of the boils or the frogs or there's a lot of nasty plagues. And uh, Pharaoh still wasn't giving up. And so here's the last of the plagues was the angel of death. And this is where the Passover began. In Exodus 12 and verse 1, it says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month will be For you, the first month, the first month of your year, tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for his household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that are there. You are determined the amount of the lamb needed in accordance with that which each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect... That's important. And may take them from the sheet or the goats. Take care, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so then it explains the rest of the, um, to the feast. And then in verse 7 it says, Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. The same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, etc., etc." Um... It says, this is how you already, oh, oh, I don't need that. Um, 
It says, eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. And then in verse 12, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come shall celebrate it as a festival of the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So this is the beginning of the Passover. The last plague was that uh, the destroyer would come in and kill the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. God said that in order for the destroyer to pass over your home, that the, that the people needed to take a lamb. It had to be without defect, so it had to be without blemish, which we read that was a big part of Jesus, was the lamb of God without blemish and without spot. And that they were to put the, put the blood, and the blood was as a sign that the destroyer would pass over that home and that they would be safe inside. So think about this. This took some faith and some action on their part. What if people thought it was ridiculous and didn't do it? You know, it's kind of interesting. So we see a lot of sort of parallels in this. And then, because God saved them out of incredible slavery. Jesus Christ, being our final, our, our Passover lamb, saved us out of the slavery of the world and the devil's kingdom. Because that's where all of us were. We have been slaves in Satan's kingdom. You know, and he has just had his way with us and walked all over us, and destroyed us, and brutalized us, until, and there's nothing that can have any hold on Satan except for Jesus Christ. So it's in faith in him, and the shed blood, that saves us from that. So that's a piece of the, of the history uh, leading up. So we've got the, the lamb without spot, and being freed from slavery, and being paid for by the blood, and then they did this every year, representing the, the freedom that they experienced in the, in the Passover. Let's go to um, Hebrews. And we'll read a little bit more about this. Oops, Hebrews. Uh, let's go to... Hebrews 10 in verse 1. There's, you know, I would really recommend if you have time uh, or want to read something cool this time of year is to just start, well, actually all of Hebrews is great, but um, specifically there's a lot of amazing details that explain and make sense out of why it was necessary to have a sacrifice of Jesus Christ and why the animal sa sacrifices in the past. So if you start in Hebrews 9 and read like not, uh, 9 and 10, it's got some really good stuff um, for that. But we're going to just hit a couple of highlights here. In Hebrews 10, in verse 1, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So what it's saying is that all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, the Passover, the sin offerings, and everything else, were just things that were teaching us of the coming of Christ. It says, so it, it was a shadow of the good things that were coming, not the realities. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So they're saying, if those sacrifices had to be given, those animals, every year after year, if they could do the trick, why did they have to do them every year? 
if animal sacrifice could actually pay the price for you, it's not, it, it, it would be stupid that you'd have to do it over and over and over again, is kind of what it's saying. If it could, would they not be stopped being offered for the worship? would have been cleansed once and for all. Makes sense, right? And would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. So if animal sacrifice was enough, you'd do it once and it would be done. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So you see that the sacrifices in the Old Testament were just something that were teaching of what was to come. Therefore, when Christ came into the... Oh, no, I didn't want to read that verse. I wanted to skip. Um, Let's go down to verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest is offered, when this priest, which is talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So you kind of get the picture of that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that paid finally. Let's go to um, uh, 1 Peter 1. First Peter 1 and verse 18 I think people were losing sight of what God was trying to teach in the sacrifices. The idea was God was trying to show that the sacrifice had to be made to pay for, to, to, as a covering, to cleanse us from sin, and as a payment for Adam's transgression. There's also a great section in uh, Romans 5. There's tons of things about the, you know, that... Um, by Adam's sin, the sins passed on to everyone else. So by Jesus Christ, by the obedience of one, that all were made righteous. But in 1 Peter 1 and verse 18, it says, um, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed or bought from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, from your forefathers. But... With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, it's really interesting because if you were bought, because it's saying that we were bought, back the, in, the, in those days in particular, silver and gold was big time. We think silver and gold is worth something today, you know, with the economy and everything. But back then, it was even more, you know, not that many people even had silver and gold at all. Um, so it's kind of funny in some ways that they were saying, you were, you were bought nothing, with, nothing like garbage, like silver and gold. <laughs> it's not some crummy silver or gold, you know, that, that paid for you, like as far as the price goes. Because normally you would think if, you know, silver and gold was extremely valuable. So it says, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, was, but was revealed in these times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. I think, um, you know, 
There is nothing more precious than the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no higher price that's ever been paid. There's nothing more valuable. And part of what made the blood of Jesus so valuable, even, you know, is the fact that he was without spot or blemish, is the fact that he led a life that was completely free of sin. That it's the, that's the, the incredible breath of the love is that he lived a life of loving and healing and giving and didn't deserve anything and laid down his life. And you know what? God says that we're worth it. I know we don't feel like it sometimes. I don't feel like it sometimes. But God, God felt like we were worth it and Jesus felt like we were worth it. Um, I think, you know, the price of, the, or the, the, what something is worth when you think about the value, you know, how you determine the value for something is not, it's not, it's what somebody's willing to pay for it. You can call, you can assign value whatever you want, but it's not until it's what's will, somebody willing to pay that determines the value of anything. Um, Let's go to First John. First uh, John. In this, in First John, in verse seven. Oh, sorry, verse chapter four. First John four. In verse 7, again, the, the-, the theme of love and giving. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves have- has been born of God and knows God. Isn't that interesting? I- guess what this says? You-, you don't actually have a clue what love is if you don't know God. I believe that's true. I believe that it's not possible to know real Real love, the selfless love, the agape love, unconditional love without knowing God. Because n- if you haven't received his love, you don't have anything to give. You're giving from an empty well. You cannot be unconditional. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If you don't know love, like, it's just, it's just interesting how, like, God, like, Everything of what God's about, we really want to see God that way because that is who God is. There's nothing that God does that isn't driven by love, if you think about that. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Oh, and actually, you know what I was thinking about, too, in this whole thing when I was reading Genesis before? It's interesting to me that, you know, when you think about great love and forgiveness, God gave Adam everything. God gave him the world and everything in it. Like, talk about paradise and beauty. So you think, and think about creation and how glorious and spectacular creation is. The, you know, the trees, the mountains, you know, all of the beauty in this life. When I look at creation, I see love. I really, really, I don't know about you guys, but when I see the glory and beauty of creation, I see God's love for us because he made this world for us. 
I'm sorry, look at the other planets, you know? Like, <laughs> they, they ain't all that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't care what people are saying out there. You can go, like, many, many galaxies away, and there's still, you know. But you look at this, you know, and, and so you think about it. I'm sorry, but it's just sort of like, it's like, I see the love, a loving God that made the world for us and made it for Adam. He gave Adam everything, and Adam so badly really kind of burned God in a way. Like, talk about being ungrateful. The original sin is bad. Talk about hard-heartedness and thanklessness. Like, for Adam to have done what he did and got all consumed with Satan's lie of making himself pity and say, oh, God doesn't want you to have everything, and just because you can't eat of the tree. You know, if you look at the original sin... It's kind of dark as far as where, I believe, where Adam's heart had to go to get to that place to seriously, like, be deceitful with God, to harden his heart, to walk away from God, to walk away from everything God gave him, to not believe anything God had done after God. You know, really, think about this. You know, does that make sense to you guys? Like... Think about what it would have been like to be God, the creator of all of life, giving all of this creation to Adam with love and Adam hardening his heart to the place that he believed what, because what, what Satan said is, oh, you know, God just wants, doesn't want you to know anything. He wants to deprive you. He's trying to keep the tree of knowledge of good and of evil. That's, you know, because he doesn't care. And so he's, he's holding back good things from you. You know, for, for him to actually not even go talk to God about it, to just listen to say, you know, it wasn't like a little mistake, I don't think, to make this. I mean, look at the damage it's done. In my opinion, you'd have to kind of go to some really, it takes a while to darken your heart that way in a way. If you, you know, we've all darkened our hearts in different places. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't happen overnight that in a blink you just, you know, wa- you know, harden your heart against God. It takes time, doesn't it, to do that? So I think about that. And then in that, here's where I also see the love of God, is his response in this is love. To want to bail man out instead of saying, wow, I just screwed up with this man thing. Let's just clean the whole slate and do something else. Let's go back to dinosaurs. You know, that was working out way better. Or, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of ways that God could respond. But the fact that God fought for us so much to bring us the Redeemer in Jesus Christ is love. I see. That is being incredible love. So it says... Um, this is love, not that we loved God, and this is the important thing, too. We didn't initiate that we're so goody-goody and love God, and then he's loved us. We keep thinking that, but that's not anywhere close to reality. You know, God has loved us when we were jerks, each and every one of us. Like, in the point that God loved you, it's when you were at your worst, most crummiest, not fun, nice self. You know, for all of us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. (sighs) Yeah. The, um, I want to, oh, let's also go down to verse 16, actually. Um, And we know and rely rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. There we have it again. 
Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. That's kind of cool to know. If you're walking in love, you're really in that kind of love, you're so connected with God. It kind of goes both ways. If you're really connecting with God, your heart's going to have a lot of love. It says, if any, um, oops, in verse 17, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because uh, in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. That's a really big deal. Our love is only because he first loved us. And we see if what love is about is giving and sacrifice. Real love, the love of God, relates to not self-centeredness, but giving and sacrifice. So what I wanted to do, oh yeah, actually let's just go to really quickly. Uh, No, we don't have to go there. Anyway, so what I want to do is in this, as we're getting into the story of Jesus and his sacrifice over the weeks ahead, because the story is something that I think the more you hear, the more it, you know, for me, I feel his love and I feel his presence and, um, and I need to be reminded all the time about it. But we also want to be in a way that we're responding to his love, that we are, that we're loving because he loved us. And so in this time, I was kind of inspired because a bunch of people were telling me about Lent. And um, I was raised atheist, so we didn't do anything like Lent. We weren't church-going kind of people. So I always thought uh, that it was like a goofy tradition. But, you know, the concept is amazing because in this time of Jesus' sacrifice and the, you know, that is the greatest love of all and his gift to us I was thinking that and this other verse that I was talking about you know talks about the fact of getting rid of the yeast because the uh, the things that hold you back from walking with God because of Christ's sacrifice that's what the verse basically says is to get rid of the things the yeast in our lives the things that get that you know that it's like a figure of speech because you put a little yeast and it spreads so it's the things in your life that tend to mess up a lot of stuff and affect many different parts of our life. So it says to get rid of that because of Christ's sacrifice, to be looking towards that. So I thought it would be really cool if you open your programs. Does everybody, we have little programs for the greatest love of all. And inside you'll see these little um, pieces of paper. This is, I will sacrifice blank for God's glory. I was thinking that it would be kind of cool between now and Easter Sunday. You don't have to do this, but I'm going to just put the invitation out there because I feel like there's an opportunity for God to really be working in our lives in this. I want you to think about, in light of Christ's sacrifice, of think of something that would, and, you know, I want, we're going to have a little meditation where you can be thinking and praying about it, something that you would like to give up between now an Easter for the glory of God. It could be, and there's a lot of different things. It could be, you know, it, it could be time. It could be time that you're going to set aside to spread the gospel and tell others about Jesus. It could be things, it could be television so that you could spend more time in prayer. It could be, you know, just whatever things that might be it could either be things that are interfering or just things that you want to give. It could be that you'd like to give up Starbucks between now and Easter and give the money as an offering to God. 
you know, that you use. Like, seriously, there's lots of places that we waste money. Maybe that's the thing of some area of our lives that, that you know, we're just like, okay, um, what can I sacrifice? The idea, if you think about really expressing love, love is giving love a sacrifice. So it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be a stretch. It's going to be something that, the concept is to have our hearts be connected to his sacrifice for us and wanting to give back and wanting to show his love and wanting to see God work bigger and bigger in our lives. And so it could be things that you eliminate to walk with God more in your life. Uh, it could be time, um, you know, what have you. So I'm going to pray and uh, we'll get, have you have some time of meditation and thinking. And then what we'd like to do, if you would like to, is we're going to have a time um, for meditation where have some time to just be contemplative at the cross. You can come and kneel or spend some time at the feet of Jesus. Just really imagine, you know, when I come to the cross, I think about the presence of Jesus and being connected to him and to his sacrifice you know, and in it, so that it's something that you're doing that has meaning to you, that, that touches you, that helps you feel closer to, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to experience his love. And you can just take your paper, you can fold it if you don't want people to see what you're giving up, um, and just, you know, lay it down prayerfully at the cross. You can pray there and lay it down. You can come and kneel and pray at the cross. Um, if you would like to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray and then we'll make some room and feel free to just stay. Um, Adam, can you put on, have some music going for that? And then just, you can linger and have some time. We want to have some time to reflect. It would amount to, you know, between now and, and Easter Sunday, which is our only Sunday that we have service here at Searchlight. So please do come and join us for Easter Sunday. Uh, so it's, I think 25 days. It's not quite the Lent commitment, but it's the heart. It's not the the tradition that matters. So God looks at the heart. So I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, um, I really love you and, um, and your son and you, my Lord Jesus. Um, I, I, words can't even speak or say what what it is to know you and to know your love. Uh, it takes my breath away um, every time I think about it, of your sacrifice, and that I don't understand why you believe that we were worth it, why I was worth it. Um, certainly, at the time that you came into my life, I am very aware of being undeserving of you and of your love, Lord. Help us in this time as we commemorate your sacrifice and what you gave, that we let you into our hearts in deeper places, that we let your love in, that we understand more and more um, that you, God, did not send your son to condemn the world, but to save us. Um, Lord Jesus, help us to be in your presence, to feel your presence here among us right now, um, that you would do it even if just one of us believed that that's how much you, each one of us means to you, Lord, um, that you were willing when you laid down your life for us. And help us to want to walk with you more and to see areas of our lives that, that we can grow more and let you in. Uh, and so just I just ask you to speak to everybody here um, as to, uh, to put on their hearts things that, that might help 
them to come closer in relationship with you and in um, in sacrificing for you, Lord. Uh, so I thank you for these things in the name of our precious Lord Jesus. Amen.